Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. How's it going, everybody? We are going to talk to you today a little bit about AR-15s and the optics that go on top of them. It is Jimmy on the mic here, not joined by my esteemed colleague, Mark. I think that he heard that we were talking about AR-15s, and he booked. Just kidding. He actually had something going on at home, and uh, full disclosure, this is actually our second take at this. When it comes to ARs and the optics, optics that can go on them, the thing is, is you're talking about one of the most versatile firearm platforms ever created, and just a slew of different optics that can go on them. I mean, really, you can put anything on an AR, or you can probably build an AR, find an application that an AR is suitable in, especially when you start factoring in AR-10s and whatnot, that that they can be perfectly viable in. So the, the sky's kind of the limit. And I'm joined across the table by Ruben Alexson and Adam Maxwell, who are some of our in-house AR and all things related experts. So what uh, what do you guys think? I've kind of alluded to the fact that ARs can be used for darn near anything out there. When it comes to somebody getting one and they think, okay, what optic should I put on top? I know the answer already is going to be it depends because, you know, that's those are the questions we like to ask around here. Or Vortex, um, one of those two. Well, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Vortex first, then it depends. It depends which Vortex. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we'll combine it into one to make it easy. So, yeah, it depends, but I'd say a few of the really popular ones that we'll go into a little bit here today would be Red Dot's. Prism scopes, low power variables. You see those most often. That's not to say that a high powered optic of some sort, like a three to nine, four to sixteen, five to twenty five, who knows, uh, couldn't go on an AR again. It just depends. But uh, what what sort of uses out there do you see people using ARs in the most, and uh, and how do you begin to steer them towards something? I think what strikes me about it from when I was in retail is. The sale of an AR-15, you know, if we were to break it down, it was usually like an hour and a half conversation of which one should I get. And then the optic conversation was like a five-minute, all right, let's wrap this up and it's time to go. Like, <laughs> so, but really, you could go, you know, as we're about to, go pretty deep in the weeds on any of this stuff. And it, it always, the, the optics are even are always seem to be a little bit brushed over. Like, I mean, you can read volumes about the evolution of the AR-15 from M16 to current, just in military usage. You can't find very much about the optics. Hmm. I know because I looked. So, I mean, but I think if you were to, like, put it optically in a few buckets, you got you got the, uh, the longer range folks, the longer range, the predator hunting, um, kind of that, that intermediate... Yeah, three could. to three to six hundred yard crowd. You got the low power variables, and then you have uh, the fixed prism scopes and red dots, or um, I'm gonna no, jump holographics and red Ho- dots. holographics and red dots. But you kind of got you kind of got the low power variable scopes, and then you got the reflexive sights or the 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 projected image sights where we're more working in close range. And we want the parallax free and the no scope shadow yeah. type. A lot of the times when people talk about that, and when they ask that question, they say, "Hey, I bought an AR. What kind of optic should I get?" Yeah, right? I know you kind of said like, "Well, it depends," mm-hmm. but with how how different and how um, varied and how many different types of 
AR platform rifles there are out there, you might as well have just said, I bought a rifle. What kind of optics should I get? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the number. There's probably as many options within an AR based on the, the receiver size. Like, is it an AR-10 or is it an AR-15? How, what's your barrel length? You know, what's your chambering? What, what cartridge do you shoot? Do you have a collapsible stock or do you have a fixed stock? So, I mean, like saying, I bought an AR, what kind of optic should I get? is it doesn't it doesn't usually do very much so right. that question then comes well, what do you plan to do with it what's your application what do you need it to what do you need this optic almost like what aspect of this gun or what quality of this gun do you need your optic to unleash mm-hmm. and if and if you can answer that question well speed up close okay let's talk dots you know all i need to be able to shoot up close with the speed of a dot and the accuracy of a or the precision of a longer range scope, higher mag scope, it's like okay, low power variable. You know, I'm shooting a PRS gas gun match. Well, then then a low power variable or or a red dot doesn't do you very much good. We're going to look at a rifle scope like a, a three to fifteen or a five to twenty five or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's so much as much as you want to be able to say these optics are AR optics and these aren't. There's just not really a way to answer that question without a little more information. Yeah. And would you even say that, I don't exactly know even how to articulate this, but would you say that when it comes to buying ARs, that a lot of times if somebody's asking the question, what type of optic, and they don't even necessarily have a clue where to start yet, is it safe to say that a lot of times in those cases, maybe they didn't even have necessarily a clue as to what they were going to use the AR for when they got it? Because That I can think, happen. I think yeah. that there's probably a lot of people who get swayed into buying a certain given AR because, you know, and nowadays it's no it's no secret that in 2020 a lot of people probably just went out and, and bought ARs. They, they wanted felt a receiver. They needed, yeah, they wanted the receiver or they, they wanted something where suddenly they felt they needed a, a means to defend themselves, whatever, or they it's just they decided it was time to get into firearms. Yeah. And uh, so they went out and got whatever was the most common thing that most other people are getting, which is probably something with a collapsible buttstock, a 16-inch barrel, and, uh, you know, some basic furniture on it. But they don't necessarily know what that's going to be for. Like, yeah. like if you go out and you build one or you buy one and you know what it's going to be for. Like, if I go, you know, and I just build out the parts list for some ten and a half inch gun that yeah. I want to be my home defense gun, and I don't care. Go to if, Brownells and and pick everything except the gas tube, like Mark. <laughs> exactly. But if I don't even, I'm I'm building that gun, and I don't even care if I go out to an outdoor range and I, and and it's not that effective for me personally, beyond 200 yards, then I don't necessarily, I'm probably not going to go in with the questions like, what optic in general should I get? It might be more like, what red dot should I get? Because I know I'm going to be more close quarters or something like that. Like on the sales side, I think you got to start asking people questions. And as they answer questions, we can, we can wiggle down, down which hole they need to be in. So like, did you buy a rifle or did you buy a carbine? So did you, did you buy a, a full-length rifle and you want to do rifle things with it, or did you buy a short carbine? You know, hmm. and then okay, if you bought a rifle, did you buy a general-purpose rifle or did you buy a long-range rifle? And you if know? you bought a carbine, then you and Adam can be friends, especially right. if it's a short right. one. <laughs> right. Well, if you bought a carbine, did you buy uh, you know a, a general-use carbine or did you buy a PDW? Like, are you trying to buy something really? Sp- you can start to get bracketed into what? Well, what did you buy it for? What, what was the idea you had in your head when you bought it? And that's going to help us kind yeah. of select, you know, the short list of things for you to consider. Because, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the world of ARs, you know. It's like, well, I want to buy an AR. 
here's all the ones. Right. Whereas like it was like, well, if we ask some questions, now we can narrow it down to well, here's three you should consider. And it's kind of the same thing with optics. So for sure. You know, and one thing that I think people run into as well is maybe even somebody has an idea of what optic they kind of want to use, but the internet is telling them that it's wrong. Right. Yeah. So like a couple of examples would be I want to have an 11-and-a-half-inch gun with a 1-to-6 or even a 1-to-10 one to on top. But the Internet says that there's no point in that. It's useless. It, you know, An 11-and-a-half-inch gun is to a red dot as Ferraris are to red or something. Like, you know, or, uh, or that's one thing we did in our first iteration. It's, it's, it's happening it's again. It's happening again. A lot of car <laughs> references. But this time I started it. Last time I didn't, I promise. You know, or you get a 20 or a, let's say an 18-inch gun. And everybody's now saying, well... You can't put a red dot on that. You can't that. put a red dot. You can't put a fixed 1X prism on that. It's, why? You know, why would you do that? You can't. And then it makes someone nervous. They start second-guessing. Well, maybe I got an 18-inch gun, but I wanted to put the fixed 1X on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I think for, there, we have to dispel that. You know, well, I yeah, think. there's applications for all that. I think the biggest one is like, well, you wouldn't put a red dot on a Barrett 50 cal, would you? Wait. We did. We once. did it. Yeah, well, they do it all the time for shooting out of helicopters. So, like, oh. there, there's an application. That's what we were using ev- it for. For so every niche we were thing, just, you know? We knew about that. Yeah, <laughs> we were just testing, you know. Um, so, like, and then the same thing, like, well, I, you know, no one would ever put a variable power scope on an SBR. Well, I do um, because, you know, there's applications for it, you know, in, uh, in the, the niche sport of three-gun that I was playing. So, you know, there's a, there is always an exception to the rule, but I think what we're trying to, what folks are trying to steer other folks away from when they're doing that is there's a reason that a lot of people made similar choices. And if you're making something, a choice that's against the grain, there's probably a reason. It's kind of like, well, why yeah. hasn't anyone ever built the AR-15 that you want to build? There might be a reason that all these AR-15 companies don't think that that's a viable model, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, and, and when you bring that up, I can re- relate to that and all the requests we've gotten, even mm-hmm. for optics too. Yeah. You know, why don't you guys make this? It would sell like hotcakes. You know, well, maybe you would buy yeah. two, but other people might not. Yeah. <laughs> a, a very prominent industry professional texts me every week asking for a Razor Scout scope. How about that? How about you, you won't give it up? But I'm like, dude, I mean, it would be cool for you and your like 10 friends. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure they would love it. It'd be extremely high quality, and it would do what they exactly want. Yep. Um, but not exactly what a majority of other people would yeah. want. <laughs> it would to justify all the cost and development and tooling that would go into making yeah, it. Exactly. Okay. So we have, again, we kind of listed out some of the categories here. Now, on the table in front of us, we've got a couple of Adams guns here, and they are clear. And when they're clear, they're clear. It's funny how that works. Yeah, uh, it's so. a stick. They're good, yeah. Uh, anyway, but we have a couple Adams guns on the table, and we also have a few optics in front of us. Now, you'll notice that even though we mentioned at the beginning, you know, you can basically, any any AR can be built up to then be a perfect tool for an application that would require any optic, pretty much. Um, but we don't have the higher-powered stuff on the table. We're more sticking with the most common optics that we see put on most general-purpose ARs, which is red dots, which can come in many different shapes and sizes. Red dots with a magnifier. We have a magnifier sitting here as well. Prism optics and your low-power variables being scopes that are traditional rifle scopes that start on a true one power and then go to some other power like four, six, eight, or ten. If we were to go through each one of these categories, which we will, we'll lift, we'll list off some of the pros 
and cons and, and perfect use case scenarios in our opinions for these styles of optics. What do you guys think about that? Is that a good Let's way to do start? It. Sounds great. All right, cool. Rube, do you want to start with your last call again like we did last time? I forgot what it was. It's all right. You'll, I didn't, it'll I didn't even get a last call last time, so I hope we do it this time. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> we will also be showing some new products Ooh, as well in this one. That's right. So if by the time you're listening to this, you haven't heard of a bunch of new Vortex products, or if we're right on the cusp of it, then definitely stay tuned for that. It's kind of like Where's Waldo. It is. Like they're around, but you can't. You have to spot them. Yeah. You just can't spot them yet. Right. Or can you? <laughs> um. All right, what do you guys what do you guys want to start with? What's the best way to start? Do you start with what, in my opinion, would be more, and we'll get into this, specialty, special purpose optics that are are more focused on one particular style of application, like your red dots and your prism optics? Or do you start with the ones that are more of your jack of all trades, low power variables? I think we go with what most people would feel is a, the most common type of optic, which is probably the one power optics. Yeah. So yeah. so your dots and your, your prisms and your hollows. Let's do it then. Well, cool. let's start with red dots. And red dots come in so many different shapes and sizes. Like I mentioned before, you've got open top ones that are just as small as small can get. Yeah, something, something like you might find on a slide on a Glock 17 MOS. Exactly. Can still go on an AR. You've got your more, I would call probably the most prolific and most common sized red dot, which would be your, whether it's a, a crossfire red dot here or one of the new ones that we're going to pull out in a second. But it's it's just, it's still really small, but it's a fully encased housing with the aluminum going all the way around. It's not open top like these other little guys. And then you even have larger ones than that, but they're still essentially 1X red dots. And some of that is you, whether you, which one you choose may be application-based or personal preference-based. But in the end, they, they are all red dots. They do function the same you know, with an LED emitter, shooting out light, yep. which reflects back to your eye and just gives you a simple red dot in your field of view to use as a point of aim. So what do you guys, what do you guys think is awesome about red dots? And what are some things where if somebody was looking to get a red dot, you'd want to make sure they at least knew this going in? Because as we know with optics, there's always, always trade-offs. I think maybe this time we could start it off and like the idea of a red dot is we're replacing an iron sight system. We're trying to put a more intuitive system for your eye to use for shooting targets that don't require enhancement yeah. to hit. And taking mm-hmm. away you know? alignment, taking yeah, away so we're, s- what a sight picture is. Yep, we're taking away sight it. alignment. We're taking away um, multiple focal planes for your eye and putting essentially a system that's simpler to use on a rifle that otherwise you would use iron sights for. Now, I mean, people have, you know, a wide breadth of capabilities with iron sights, depending how dedicated they are to the system. Sure. But generally speaking, that's what we're looking at in comparison to, like, a scope. A scope, we're actually trying to enhance the image a little bit so that we can pick a point to hit. Yeah, have a higher level of precision, which we're not trying to do with a red dot unless we put a magnifier behind it. But... Two things on on red dots I think that are important and I think that are probably a big part of people's decision-making process when they're selecting an optic for an AR. If if you were to buy an AR uh, mm-hmm. from, from the store today, there, there's a good chance that it doesn't have iron sights on it. It doesn't right. have any type of sighting system. And so people are looking to get something on there that will allow them to at least use it. Right. And a red dot, like like Adam said takes the place of irons. It's a one power optic. It has the same magnification level as your eye does. And so there's two things. The cost, red dots are typically 
pretty cost. They're not high cost, right? You can spend money on it on a dot. You can go up to a premium price on a dot, but a lot of times when people are buying uh, a rifle, a dot is a very simple option because mm-hmm. it's like okay, mm-hmm. it comes with a mount mostly. Uh, most of the time, it's a couple hundred dollars to you know we'll call it like. 150 to 500 dollars would unleash most of the dots yeah. on the market for you. Yep. And the other thing too is the footprint, so size and weight on the gun. They they leave a lot of real estate available to do other whether you want to put a set of flip-up irons, you want to run a laser, you want to put a flashlight on it. I don't know what all there's some pretty crazy things you can mount to a Pictini rail. So a, a dot typically will leave you with a lot of room left on your rail. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, like on a pro and con base, like, I'm choosing a dot on a gun that I'm trying to shave bulk off of. Sure. You know, so, um, like, if I'm going, especially if I'm going to do something that I know I don't need a scope for, like, I'm kind of past the point where I want to, like, prove that a scope can do certain things. I've proved that to myself. But if I'm going, like, you know, uh, if you're going to take your your typical carbine class, tar- tactical carbine shooting class, your CQB class, your vehicle class, those kind of classes, yeah. those aren't rifle shooting classes. But I'm going to be spend a lot of time with this rifle hanging on or around my body. So a red dot shaves that bulk off of it. So generally speaking, yeah. when I'm looking to a red dot in my systems, it's a system that I'm trying to shave bulk off of because I've kind of decided that there's some fairly reasonable parameters around where the targets are going to be for that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and you guys brought up a you brought up an excellent point there when you were talking about the fact that they've essentially nowadays replaced the iron sight. Now, a lot of people get mad when you say stuff like that because they say, you know, well, I qualified in XYZ with iron sights. I can shoot them out to this distance. You know, I'm really good with them. And that's actually that's awesome. I think it's it's kind of a lost art being really good with iron sights. The thing is, most people who are really good with iron sights, they spent tons and tons and time and repetition and lots yeah. of ammo and to it's get like, that good. Whereas, is I'm not going to say somebody would all of a sudden just like get a red dot and be as good as them right out of the box, but just because you, you walked uphill, up just because you walked uphill both ways in two feet of snow, doesn't mean you shouldn't drive your car now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I learned how to drive, drive car a stick shift, a manual transmission. And it's not really relevant to. Basic transportation today. Okay, that one doesn't apply. That was stupid. Um, we're going to carry on. Anyway. Do you want to keep going? We need to know. <laughs> no. Um, let's not do the bad analogies thing again. You guys. <laughs> I was talking about semis. So uh, okay. Well, um, anyway, though. So <laughs> yeah, red dots, they're very intuitive. They're quick. You can send them up so easily. And then, like we mentioned as well, they come in so many different shapes and sizes. You can have the one where... It's open top. Maybe you give up a little bit of inherent durability because we've stripped away so much material. Yeah. But there's there's nothing in your field of view practically besides that red dot. You can just use it yeah. both eyes open. It's really tiny. It doesn't take up much space. Fits in a briefcase for all your clandestine operations yeah, right. really well. It's or, as close or more to likely as possible. Or more likely today you're shooting you know, like USPSA PCC, right? And and yeah. like your your make ready is taking the gun out of a soft padded case. Yeah. So durability isn't necessarily your main focus. Your main focus is is transition speed and target acquisition speed, right? It's right. not having that inhibited field of view. It's right. having just a dot floating out in the middle of space so that I can shoot the target. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, then you got your your next size up, which, like we said, our crossfire red dot here is it. This is kind of the most popular size. We'll even intro that new one, which is the Spark Solar. Very exciting. 
I'm so uh, excited I should hit about the this. Oh, yeah, look at that. It has been. There you go. There's your Where's See, Waldo. Where's Waldo right there. Sight this <laughs> entire time. Dots like this, though, very common bolt pattern and mounting pattern size. They, they yep. mount on all kinds of things. There's a ton of aftermarket support for them. You can direct mount them to a lot of rails and other devices, it seems, these days. Extremely efficient. You know, ones like this now, the Spark Solar, have a solar panel on top that actually runs the optic. So it's it's essentially assisting the battery. It makes your battery life go for literally hundreds of thousands of hours. I mean... Long time. Yeah, long time. To the point where your battery is actually going to be the limiting factor, not the, not the efficiency of the optic. You know, but you have things like this, and then you've got even your larger red dots like your strike fire twos. Oh, yeah, there, Spark and, AR, uh, which for a long time has been a, kind of a staple in our line. Before that, Spark 2. So, yeah, there, there's uh, footprint similarities there with all those. And, you know, I think they're incredibly rugged just by design. They have a full housing around them, a full aluminum housing. You know, one of the only downsides to something like that would be just your apparent field of view. You know, the, the right. size of the aperture that you're looking through. Right, which you can kind of fix by going to, to something like that. Strike Fire 2, a little bit bigger red yep. dot. But then you just have a bigger red dot on your gun. Right. Yep. And so some of that sort of, we'll get into the UH-1 here in a little yeah. bit, or holographic sites. But, but the compromises that were made and it's kind of the, the blend of apparent field of view for size is what has me really excited about the Spark Solar in mm-hmm. general. That's why I'm, I'm excited to get it on a lot of our systems, a lot of our dealers. I mean, we're all ramped up to push it to a lot of our LE customers. It's another red dot, but... I mean, it's right. hard to get me excited about a red dot. It's pretty exciting. Product. Because in that optics case, for being a small-sized red dot, it still actually manages to have this like pretty big field of view through yes. the actual optic itself. Yep. And also a very uncluttered aluminum housing around said field of view. So you yep. really just don't end up with a lot of stuff in front of your eye. Yep. Which is always ideal when you're trying to move fast yep. and yeah. uh, be accurate and quick. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the cons of going with a red dot. As well. So right off the bat, I think if I I'm gonna go off some of the ones that I've I've heard out there. Some people bring up the astigmatism argument. Oh, I can't see a red dot very well because I have an astigmatism. We can jump into that. Obviously, once you get a red dot, if you want to then shoot out to more intermediate distances and be more accurate, and you know, you're gonna have to go to something like a magnifier, so you have to get a second optic. Uh, or And even then, yeah. still, you might be limited to still only three power or maybe five power, depending on the magnifier. And then... Yeah, they're electronic. I mean, it's an electronic device. So right. mm-hmm. there are people that will, will guide you away from it simply because it could fail. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and in a Red Dot's case, if the battery died or something like that happened... Yep you're left with no point of aim because yeah. you don't have a physical reticle inside of it right. like you do in other optics. To, ex- to expand a little bit on your your astigmatism, kind of like that downside, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, like, for those of you who don't know, an astigmatism is a condition where your eye is more egg-shaped uh, and doesn't reflect light how it should. So you can see, you know, a starburst or you can see a cluster of dots, mm-hmm. right? You can see a comet. It's one of those. A comet or no... a comma, um, depending on who you are. So, like, yeah. It's one of those, there's no perfection in nature. So, it's not like it's not like a disease where it's like you have it or you don't. Everyone has it to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's just that some people have it wicked bad right. <laughs> and other wicked people don't. Smart. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, an astigmatism with a red dot, you know, that's the, the condition where you might 
pull the pull an optic up and look through it and you might not see a clear dot and that that can be really tough too especially if you're trying to be any type of precise with it Mm -hmm. um it it can be um distracting but it can also just be completely prohibitive of you using that type of sighting system so so that's one one thing the other thing just being that you're operating without a magnifier you're operating on one power and the level of information that you get through that optic having no magnification there to to assist you in, you know, whether you're a law enforcement professional and you're concerned with PID, whether you're a competition shooter and you're looking at, you know, am I hitting on the target where I want to hit? A dot doesn't provide you with a ton of information beyond what you have with the naked eye. So, yep. you know, that's another thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of red dots. And then, yeah. like we mentioned as well, there is the, the holographic sites, which we sort of, we bundle in with the red dots because... In general, they serve the same purpose, being something that is, you know, this. It's weird calling it one power because it makes they're it seem non-magnified, like right? right? Non-magnified, non-magnified yeah. yeah. Presenting in a different way, exactly. And uh, so, similar in application, something that you use for ideally close quarters, fast action shooting. But the holographic side, of course, there's different technology inside. Rather than LED reflecting off of a uh, off of a parabolic lens like a red dot uses. We have essentially a holographic system inside that's an, a laser reflecting off some mirrors, and there's beam splitters. There's a yep. thing called a wafer in there, and basically you end up with this reticle inside. It can be a little bit more technical reticle than just your regular dot. Yeah, you um, can design it. Yeah. Design whatever you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. But those are pretty unique in that you know they don't have any image distortion when you look through them. Yep. You can get this nice big field of view with zero image distortion whatsoever. Um, even in red dots, since there is that one lens in there, there is some image distortion. Yeah. And sometimes people who who have uh, an astigmatism will see uh, the reticle in a holographic sight more clearly mm-hmm. or or less distorted than they would see a red dot. Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes that decision for people is as simple as looking through both optics and seeing which one their eye likes. You know, right. and, and like not to sim- oversimplify the choice for for the customer, but there there is some. There is some simplicity to that. Even looking, you know, my decision between uh, a prism, you know, 1X prism, a holographic, and a red dot, that decision can be as simple, and it doesn't need to be, but it can be as simple as which one do you like looking through best. And that's a real thing. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. because I've had this happen many times. I go down to the showroom. I'm looking through different red dots. All of them are vortex red dots. And they all technically, in terms of how they function, function the same, but there are some, when I pull up to my eye, I'm like, yeah, that one looks good. Yeah. And it's funny because then, you know, I'll pull another one up and I'm like, nah, you know, something about this one. Somebody else pulls the same one up and they're like, no, this one's my favorite. Yep. And it's, it's all, it's all different. Like I love looking through the razor red dot for some reason, because the dot is the absolute most crisp I have ever seen a dot in a red dot. Ever. Yeah, it's not when that look, way for everyone. When I look right? for the razor red dot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then somebody else will pick it up and they're like, ah, man, my astigmatism really screws with this one. That's, uh, but a different one w- works better for them. That's it's, one of those things that yeah. when, when we came out and we had like, at one point in time, we had like the Spark 2 mm-hmm. and we had uh, a Spark AR and we had a Crossfire that had just come out. And, and looking, you know, people would look through the Crossfire and some people would say, well, I like this one because the dot's just so much cleaner. And then someone else would say the same thing about the Spark 2. 
And then when you would tell them that the price on the Crossfire was lower, it was like almost like a short circuit happened. <laughs> it was like, but that one looks better. Right. And you have to kind of explain, but it doesn't look better for everyone because right. everyone's eye is going to see that reflection of, a, of an LED through, uh, you know, through a, a, an emitter differently. Right. You bring up a good point, too, around, like, uh, one costing more or less. There are some different features that you can get around a red dot. Even though they're a very simple optic, there are some different things that can be sort of added around them. So your most simple and basic style of a red dot would be something like the Crossfire Red Dot, which, as you mentioned, is kind of more of our entry-level red dot. That's not because it's, like, a low-quality red dot. It's just because it's an LED with a parabolic lens and aluminum housing around it and a diode switch on Very the side. Very simple. You not just, much to it. Not <laughs> yeah. a whole lot to it. There's no buttons. It's just, a, you know, just an analog dial. Exactly. Right? So. Now, the Spark Solar here, which is going to go for somewhere around, I want to say, 100 to $150 more. Maybe I'm off on that. Yep. No, you're right. That. It's around 300 Is you know Now you're adding in the solar panel. You've got these flush adjustments here for the elevation and windage, which then cut off a little bit of bulk. Different battery cap as well, which is also a little bit more streamlined. You've buttons. got button switches on the side, so a digital switch instead of a rotary switch. Bigger sort of field of view, so a different erector unit in there. There's a more ro- robust mount, too, as well. Yep. It has a steel insert that, that clamps onto the Picatinny and a little bit higher quality screws. And overall, that optic just has a little more technology into it. You know, there's it, it's solar-assisted, so, mm-hmm. so that the site has to decide when it's going to utilize solar instead of the battery power. Right. Right. And you so, don't you don't decide that. The site right. does, and so it's, you don't have to ever and, and it's not don't think of it as an onboard charger. Think of it as solar assisting. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the site, you know, and the cost difference is is reflective of not, you know, red dot pun. Um, the cost <laughs> difference is reflective of um, all that additional technology. For sure. For sure. So yeah, determine what you really want slash one, need. One of like my kind of closing thoughts on red dots is that like and maybe this would be better like as a as a last call, but when you when you say yes to something, Joe told me this, you, you say no to something else. That's true. And so mm-hmm. when you're looking at, well, I really want this thing to be fast or I really want this to be durable or I really want the battery life, you know, if you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. So I always think there's a, there's a trade-off with everything. Yep. For sure, for yep. sure. And to piggyback on that with, like, the astigmatisms and whatnot as well, the trade-off for no, you know, unlimited eye relief, parallax-free... You know, all the characteristics that make red dots what they are, the, the trade-off to that is astigmatisms, but also to the, the greater extent, like, red dots are going to look fuzzy. They're going to have glare, things of that nature. It's not meant to look like a crisp dot. We'll get to the thing that has the crisp dot here in a minute, but, like, that's what you're giving up. Is, right. is it's, it's supposed to be omnipresent no matter what dis, you know what focal length your eye is at. It's not meant to look perfectly clean like what folks are looking at in the store. When you're in the store and you're really looking at the dot, like that's the last time you really, if you're using it right, you should be looking at the dot. It's not a front sight like on a like on an iris-sighted pistol. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's a really good point to bring up, uh, for sure. As we mentioned, of course, they can work in conjunction with a magnifier. Now, I think we'll get into the magnifier thing when we get into some of the low-power variables or some of the, uh, the prism sites here because, you know, then you start talking about bringing in magnification to try and make yourself a little bit more accurate at distance. I know, Adam, you have some thoughts around the magnifier. Um, but uh, funny enough, 
Speaking of magnifiers, though, and moving into prism sites, magnifiers and prism sites really act to the same optical system. A prism site is really just a magnifier, but with a reticle inside and a mounting solution to uh, be used as the primary sighting device. And so let's talk about let's talk about prism sites. I feel like they're kind of the old middle ground between a red dot and a low power or yeah, and a low power variable. Because you kind of you could look at one like the Spitfire AR here that's on the table, and you'd see, generally speaking, in terms of size and you know perceived weight, if you're just looking at it, it's similar to a red dot. But we have an etched reticle inside, like a more traditional rifle scope or a low power variable would have. Where I think you can red get dots, magnification. I think red dots have kind of kind of adopted prism sights into their family. At least the one yeah. powers. The one powers, yeah. yeah. We yeah, put it's them in that like, part of our website. It's kind of like part of the. <laughs> it's kind of like part of it. Like it, it likes to hang out with that group, but then like its older brothers, like they also like the magnification, so they think they're a rifle scope. Yeah, that. that. I'm following. Yeah, ish, kind of. Yeah, like it's kind of part of that family, but it's kind of <laughs> not. It likes to go over to that family's house and party. It does. It does. Yeah. Going with a prism site, though. So again, we'll talk pros and cons, there are some things that you gain and there are some things that you lose over a red dot. Now, let's talk about that 1X1, for example, just off the bat. Now, the yeah. Spitfire AR-1X, you gain a different, more technical reticle inside. It's an etched reticle, so we can do a lot more things with it. It's also not going to have any issue with somebody with a severe astigmatism. It always looks clean. It always looks clean because you're looking at a yep. reticle. You're not looking at a reflection of light. It's always there. Mm-hmm. Always there. So regardless of whether or not the battery is powered, if the battery dies or you don't even have a battery in there, uh, there is a reticle there. So also a good point. And yeah. Truth um, be told, I usually don't have a battery in mine. Right, right. <laughs> I usually just use the black reticle. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the downsides, right, like we kind of li- listed some of the similarities. A couple of downsides would be, you know, mounting solutions, while it does share a, a very common type of mount, you're you're limited to a singular mounting height on the on the one power. You have limited eye relief, right? Yep. It, it has eye relief much like a rifle scope instead of eye relief that's would be unlimited like in a red dot. And then and then field of view limitations. Now you can adjust your diopter so that you see a fairly flat field of view. However, you do have through the scope eye relief or um, field of view that would be measurable. Yeah. There's always something and it's, it's indescribable, but once you know, you know, once you've seen through both, there's something about when you look through a red dot or a holographic sight, which, again, is one of those unmagnified optics, you're seeing the target. When you see the target through that optic, it, it is what it is. You're seeing the exact same thing that your open left eye, uh, in my case of being a right eye dominant shooter, is seeing. They're seeing the same thing. There's just a reticle in the way of the right eye that you can place over whatever you're trying to hit. When you're using an optic, whether it's a low-power variable on one power or a fixed 1x prism optic, you're seeing something different. You're seeing an image that's been delivered to you via an optical system and is now sitting at a very predetermined point out in front of your eye, You know, yep. what, and that's your eye relief. And so that's what your right eye, again, in my case, if your left eye dominant, it's your left eye, that's what your right eye sees, and then your left eye sees like it normally would. So even though you're seeing a 1x image and even though it can be used very fast... There is something different, and I, I, you can't put your finger on it or explain it to somebody. Yeah. They just have to see it. I mean, that's why I said it likes to party with rifle scopes and red dots. I mean, it has they attributes like to similar to both. All mm-hmm. of our optics like to party. just depends yeah. on which ones they like to party with. 
And then within prism scopes, you you know you have other magnification options too, right? So that's right. Let's bring these bad boys out. Another new product for this time period. If you're listening, right as this is coming out, you're going to be seeing these here either pretty soon or maybe you've already caught a glimpse. But Spitfire Gen Two, like you said, so now uh, you can bring HD. in some other magnifications. Yeah, very very capable optics. Um, prism sights have been around for a while. In fact, a lot a lot of years. We might have not necessarily called them that, but fixed power, you know, in, in the industry, fixed power battle sites, I guess you would you would kind of label them as. Yep. Companies have kind of used that term as to to describe a fixed power optic with, with a reticle and potentially illumination to be a very just a very simple, simple sighting system. Right. It is about as simple as it gets because as you graduate to something like a low-power variable, which isn't, I'm, I'm not going to say it's complicated, it's easy to learn, but there are a few more learning curves, like, for example, you know, changing magnifications around, you know, deciding what magnification I will use for, if you're talking about competition, what magnification would be on at this stage, yeah. at, at which point, or if it sits by my bedside, you know, what magnification do I have it on? Was I just using it at the range where I had it on six, but now I want it on one. I'm going to want to make sure to set it to one before I put it in the safe or whatever. It is to simple what like a snowmobile transmission is like there's one speed yeah. there's one gear. You, yeah. you push the gas and go. Yeah. Right. Like it has intricacies within it and maybe in its design or in the reticle or in componentry, but it is very plug and play. Once you zero it, there's not a lot of interaction with the optic other than maybe adjusting your brightness. Of the illumination if yep. you're using the illumination. If you if you even are, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of can't, once it's set up, once you've zeroed it in, you kind of can't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. just pick it up and use it, which is, is very nice. And so... I've said it before, like, I, it would be if all things hit the fan, it would be the one I, I would take out of the safe and give to the person who has like no experience <laughs> shooting guns. I'd be like, here you go. Put the thing on the thing and pull the thing. This one's yours. Yes. <laughs> so you've got, gosh, that is such a good point actually. Cause it's like, well, if you give them a red dot, you know, what are they going to do if the yeah. red dot, like, you know, they oh, got to brightness oh. or it turns off or they put it in night vision mode. Now they yeah. can't see anything. Give them a low power variable. And they're like, what magnification the am I on? Yeah. Yeah, all this stuff, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so with these new ones, we've got the Spitfire HD Gen 2s. We have a 3X and a 5X. Now, these ones are pretty neat because they're also very they're very short, very compact, and they share mounting platforms with optics like that uh, Spark Solar that we mentioned earlier and a lot of other aftermarket mounts yeah. out there as well that you can switch it around. Yeah, there's a ton of support in terms of mounts. Quick release, like different mounting heights for all the way from, you know, like a suppressor height or a, like a, a night vision height to a standard AR height. Like there's all kinds of options for mounts on the market. Mm-hmm. And when you go to now also too, I guess if you're, uh, if you're not watching, we'll try and explain this as well. These have the same flush adjustments, elevation and windage to make them nice and streamlined, same low profile kind of battery cap and just body in general. When you go to the 5X, one of the cool things it, about this one is that obviously we and our engineers knew going into this, let's say somebody goes to a 5X. Now they're really, they're really jumping into the waters of, okay, I've, I've committed to this sort of more intermediate distance optic, right? I know that I've given up some of the ability to engage things closer and quicker. But in this case, because of that, we added on a plate on top to add optics, direct mount, like a Venom or a Viper red dot, which are our small open top red dots, 
which is pretty neat. If you don't want to use that, there's just a nice flush plate that goes over top of it. But if you do, you just remove that plate and you can direct mount one to it. And so piggyback style, you have a, a little 1X or unmagnified red dot option that you can quick switch to. So that's that's a pretty cool feature there that then offers it some, you almost get like a 1 or 5 optic yeah. instead of a 1, 2, 5. Yep. And again, getting that versatility to go back to the speed and acquisition of a dot, but also to with simply just lowering your cheek weld, having that magnification available to you. And mm-hmm. they do have uh, the ARBDC4 reticle, I believe, yes. um, which is very similar to a magnified view of something like you would see in, say, like a Strike Eagle or something like, a, you know, even a, a Gen 3 1 to 10, a, a reticle that has information in it that you can use to put rounds on target given variables like different distances and wind. Right. It's a very usable reticle. It, it's also just very simple. And, and like, I think the size profile of them is really what's surprising. When, when you look at current three or five power prism sights on the market, reduce the size for the same optic by about 40 or 50%, and that's what you're looking for here. Yeah, even the new 5X is considerably shorter than the, the current, current 3X. or now old 3X yeah. model. Adam, how do you feel about prism optics? Because you are probably the biggest low-power variable fan I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life. So so you you obviously, with those, have so much variable variability. That's the V in the name. Uh, you have a lot of variability with what you can do. You can set them to 1X, use them like a red dot, and you can, you can bump them up a little bit. Do you see, what's a situation where you would find yourself implementing a prism site? I mean, I've used I've used the one power prism sight quite a bit oh, in, a, right. in a niche application uh, in the sport of three gun. I mean, the the Spitfire AR is legal cheating in the uh, in the unmagnified division, the limited class, correct? Yep, limited yeah. class or irons, depending. On. Yep, or irons, depending on what what region of the country or or arrow we're talking about. I think one of the things I I really do think that the the fixed power prism scopes are somewhat of a a niche or a dated optic segment, yeah. especially in, in modern applications of ARs. These are certainly some of the best ones or, you know, um, a highly evolved version of it. But I tend to go more towards a variable power scope or a red dot. You know, I can't think of an application that I would choose this over that. I asked you this because I, I knew, I I knew you would actually, say that. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate that point of view for what it is. Well, I don't. I'm offended by it. I mean... The size, How dare you, sir. I'm sorry, Adam, but I'm not sorry. I do this for the people. <laughs> the size of the three power is the size of the eye piece on the razor Gen two one to six. So I think size and weight. Look at that. It, 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 you're, yep. If you're talking size and weight being important, you can't dispute that fact. Now yes. I will say your flexibility is gone. Like yeah. you are shooting a three power optic. Yep. Now you could toss on, you know, an offset red yeah, dot yep. or an offset set of irons, but then you're talking about getting yet another sighting system on your rifle. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe what you're baiting me towards is um, I would choose, if we could throw offset or tertiary red dots into the mix, I would choose a prism and a red dot over a red dot with a flip over magnifier. Okay. At, yeah. at, at any juncture. If, if I had, you know, if those were the choices, I would choose a fixed power. If we lived prism. in Adam's world, it's like n- Wayne's world, right? Yeah, 
Now, why is that? Because I know we kind of brought up magnifiers and said we'd get back into them. So now maybe is the time because we're, we're kind of in prisms about to transition into low power variables, but we're bringing up the magnifier because we're talking about the idea of not wanting to necessarily give up that close quarters ability of mm-hmm. the AR mm-hmm. um, while also achieving some level of accuracy at intermediate distances. Mm-hmm. So this is now where we're getting into multiple ways of doing that. Prism with an offset or piggybacked red dot, red dot with a flip-up magnifier, or low power variable. I'm sorry, I asked the question again. <laughs> I don't know if it was a question. Yeah, that was I think all it was like, just what, a statement of where we are in time I and think, space. But but so talk about the magnifier. Though, flip we didn't flip really over magnifiers, I think I think that's another thing that's it's holding on. It's still viable. It still plays. But it comes from an older era of optics. And so it for a lot of folks, it's it's kind of a safety blanket. It's kind of it it's what they know and what they're used to. And low power variables are kind of the new kid on the block. They're not. That's perception. We talked about that in a different episode. But I think the perception is that it's simple. Mm-hmm. But it's two things instead of one, and it's it mechanically knuckles over back and forth. And when it's folded out of the way to the position that you would use it most of the time, the re, you know just the red dot yeah. for for you know your defensive or or whatever close quarters stuff it's in a very unergonomic and unbalanced spot you know you just kind of hung it off the side of the rifle where everything else on the rifle is trimming in line now you got this thing hanging off to the side right and, and i again i would choose an a red dot to save bulk i'm trying to shave bulk off of a rifle if i'm using a red dot so it right. adds bulk and then on the sales side of the house, usually people who are buying them, they're kind of holding on or they're they're forsaking the evolution into a low power variable, kind of for invalid reasons. I, I just I feel like yeah. a lot of the reasons that it it carries on have really been replaced with better answers, but well, certain and Adam, segments haven't Adam accepted brings it yet. this up a lot too, and I think it's a valid point. A lot of people who are current, whether they be a military or law enforcement professional. If you're in the military, you're, the, the global war on terror has been going on for 20 years. And these types of sighting systems were very popular. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while a lot of those folks transitioned into law enforcement careers or law enforcement training or just a training career, they're comfortable with something like that. And they're going to mm-hmm. continue to train what they're comfortable on, right? And evolving into something like a low-power variable, while it might you know, at its core, be faster. It won't be faster or better unless you train with it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's easy to take something that you're not comfortable with and discredit it or, you know, push it aside and be like, see, I'm still better with that. Okay, well, you've used that for 15 years, and you just picked this up today at the demo table and shot it once. <laughs> if you put right. the same amount of training into both systems, I think what Adam's getting at is that you would just be if we were taking away biases or taking away, you know, an unfair amount of time that we've had with one system mm-hmm. and put them both on equal playing fields, that's mm-hmm. why a lot of the, like, speed tests and speed trials between, like, a holographic or a low-power variable, you'll find that there's really not much difference, if any at all, and sometimes the nod goes towards the low-power variable. Blasphemy. Yeah, right. And so, like I said, the... <laughs> If you've put time behind something for a long time, it might be what you're comfortable with. Right. And in being the company that we are, we offer our customers what they're asking for. Right. As long as we have the ability to make that product at the right price and support it 
and and provide a, a value, you know, on par or better than what than than what we than what we can. Like that's that's what we're gonna do, and we do have customers that ask for that. For yeah, sure. We do have customers that ask for for fixed power prisms. We do have customers that ask for flip over magnifiers. So we continue to evolve in them. Yeah, I think the. The application that still exists uh, for the flip over magnifier red dot combo that is viable and probably hasn't been surpassed yet is uh, passive use of night vision. Okay. Through through an optic. Now, if you look at the segment of the market that's doing that, or even has night vision. <laughs> okay. So that's that's one group, and then of that group, ninety five percent of what they do is with a laser. Uh, not passively through an optic, mm-hmm. but if we're talking about that very niche thing of using using helmet mounted night vision passively through, through an optic, an optic yeah. and then you still need some kind of daylight capability on a magnifier, it it probably is the better of of the sure. not good answers right now <laughs> yeah. for um, for putting all of those things together. Yeah. But to your point, though, I mean, you talk about shaving a bulk off of your rifle. I mean, let's just even look at a small red dot like the Spark Solar here with a magnifier behind it. That's kind of the uh, size and weight that we're at. That takes up, when you consider the the relatively small amount of mounting space you get on the top receiver of an AR, and you're not wanting to mount your optics out on the handguard, really, that's taking up probably most of your, of your space up there. Now you take the Spitfire HD Gen 2 5X, you mount one of these little venoms on top. You didn't take up any more rail space. You really didn't even make it a ton taller. You didn't make it any wider, mm-hmm. but you still kind of achieved the same outcome. Yep. Um, and really, honestly, even a bit better outcome because now you have a prism optic with a, a more technical reticle inside, a BDC for the 5.56 with holds to 650, wind holds, and you have your close-up red dot. So And the, your dot's at the height that your night vision would need to be anyways. That's another thing, too. Yeah, it is. It is funny though. You bringing up bringing up sight height and some of the stuff that you brought up as well with the magnifier. I think red dots have gotten so much better over the years, and they've gotten oh God, better yeah. because people. It's hard for people to give up red dots, and they still have their place. Absolutely, I'm not saying that they don't have their place. But for example, magnifiers being put behind red dots, people are like, "We love these red dots, but we want to be able to shoot out a little bit further and a little bit more accurately." So somebody developed a magnifier to put behind the red dot. Well, now low power variables are are out there, and they kind of achieve something similar, if not better, but a lot of people are still stuck with the magnifiers and the red dot. Same thing goes with people got red dots and they thought, well, what happens if this thing dies because they're not super efficient yet or maybe they're not as durable back when they first came out as they are today? And what happens if this thing dies? I still want to have my irons on me you know, to be able to use those through the optic. Well, then we started really placing this focus and this hyper-focus on co-witnessing and whatnot, and now people can't give up co-witnessing. And it's like, you know, and and so you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't have extra tall mount mounting height with my red dot because then I can't co-it in some irons. It's like, well, how many times have you ever had to use your irons through mm-hmm. your red dot or do you ever anticipate having to use your irons through your red dot? When you have a- 150,000 hours of battery life, which that's another thing that we made better and better and better. And, you know, and you've got super durable optics, which is another thing we made better and better the thing and better. With, uh, the thing, and this is always gets me, and I could be wrong, there could be a lot of Jason Bournes out there that do stuff, but like it's called a quick release mount so you can get it off the gun quick. So co-witnessing, yeah, it's it's cool. Like it's nice to be able to have that backup if for some reason you're in the moment where you're using the gun and the dot stops working. Because like I only shoot competition, but I can tell you that before every time the buzzer goes off, I look to make sure the dot's on. So I think that if you're in that 
mysterious magical moment where all of a sudden now the dot stopped working, but I can see through the site, your battery's dead or you hit the button and it's off. That's two things. And you can do, you can prevent both of those. So like now the thing that irons are going to help me with is if I have like a catastrophic optic failure, right? The optic, the glass is broken and I can't see through it. Backup irons don't help you anyways. So the quick release mount gets it off and out of the way. That's a fair point. Well, we've sort of, uh, we're getting to the point now where we're getting into low-power variables. I think we've definitely aired some of our preferences towards low-power variables. And, w- and what if I we would have started at, with those, we could have already been done. Wait, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what I was getting at, too, is that, I mean, like, red dots have gotten better and better and better. The accessories around them have gotten better and better and better. But now we have these low-power variables, and it's like, there will always be a place for red dots. And I, it, this is going to sound so like wishy-washy because I'm like, low-power variables are the best, but there's always a place for red dots. And I, it, that's another one of those things where it's like until you've used both, it's, it's hard to explain why, but you know that it is true. But these 1 to 4s, 1 to 6s, 1 to 8s, 1 to 10s, let's talk about these things now because there are many pros and there are some cons, which we can, be, we can point out. Hey, um, I'm, I'm fine admitting the cons. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first con... Is the fact that they're just they're big. They're big. It depends on what you're comparing them to. If you're talking about your twenty inch AR rifle that you're trying to shoot steel out to seven hundred on and you're comparing it to like a three to fifteen or a five to twenty five, then they're not big. Right. But if you're comparing them to a red dot, then they are big. Well, comparing them to a red dot, they're big. So not only are they bulky, but they take up a lot of space on your gun. Mm-hmm. They require a mount. So you have to Separate. buy something usually separate just to even be able to use it. You got to mount them. You have to mount them properly level. You have limited eye relief or a specific set eye relief. You have a specific eye box behind the the optic. You have a limited field of view. Okay. We've talked about the bad things. Now we're just going to talk about all the good things. Yep. You pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Sweet. So good things from there. Adam, you love these things. I do. Why are they so awesome? What, what have you been able to, what, what is it that, has happened in your shooting life and career where you've now, you mentioned earlier, you've proven to yourself that the low power variable is, is basically like it can do all things for you that a red dot could when it's on one power. Now, again, the size and weight factor comes into play depending on where you want to fit your rifle and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just using it, let's, let's take the size and weight and things out of the equation. You've proven to yourself that on one power, it can do everything you needed to do. And then you have that ability to go up to the higher powers for intermediate distances. What what's up there? Like I say, I mean, I just kind of took it. I took it to some of those places where where people are like, well, it just doesn't cut it here. Um, specific shooting schools or types of events where they're just like, no, red dots are king here. You know, you know, I mean, you can try, but they've all failed. And it's kind of like, no, I mean, it's it's just a gun sight. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, what they're not doing anything magic to it. And then I found that. I think I find that a lot of the naysayers to it are some of these groups like Ruben alluded to, they've been shooting red dots or holograms for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're running, you know, a something something agency was running a trial and they're like, all right, well, what about these? And they tried it for a couple days or a couple hours even. And they're like, well, it's not as fast as our, as our holograms. And I was like, well, you've been training for 15 years on a hologram. You ran this for, you know, a couple minutes and it was the one that somebody else kind of threw on the gun that was like yours and 
didn't even say. I find that most people who think that a that a red dot is faster haven't properly set up their not optics. just yeah. faster, but there's a lot of things that a low power variable can do. I think I mentioned this um, a little bit before, but a low power variable will unlock more of the potential of your gun than I think any other optic will. Because of the fact that it's kind of a jack of all trades. Is it as fast or is target you know acquisition as fast as a red dot in CQ distances? No, but it's probably eighty or ninety percent as fast. Mm, I get what you're right? Saying. So it does that it does eighty percent of a dot's job. Okay. Is it as much precision as you know a three to fifteen? Well, no, by nature it's not. It's only an eight power or a ten power. But therein it does 75% of that that optics job. Mm-hmm. Is the reticle, you know, a trimmer three? No, but it has everything that I need to put rounds on target for what I'm doing. So, like, I think while it might not do anything that specifically as good as one of these, let's let's compare it to a prism. It It's not as simple as a prism. It's right. also not as small, compact, lightweight. However it still provides me with the ability to do that optics job. So it's like a red dot can't really do the job of a low-power variable. And a very a low-power variable might not be able to do a red dot's job as well, but it does it. Mm-hmm. And no other optic in that whole category of everything we've talked about can do all of the jobs. It might not be, a, you know, it's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Right. And I think also maybe a better articulation of what, the answer to your question is, I think to unlock all of the things that an LPVO can do for you, you have to set it up right. Yeah, and you mentioned that earlier, you know, and, so, and I'd like to go into that further yeah. because it's very important because a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. And it, and it, it forever taints their image of yeah. what a low-power variable Especially is. Especially professional end users because for the most part, when you talk on the professional side, they're, dispa- they're disinterested and dispassionate users of this tool that's mm-hmm. given to them. So at most they're going to bolt it on. Yeah. But you know, but you know, there's all these slots on here. Where do they bolt it? They might just pick one and throw it. It doesn't matter yeah, as long it as it's on best. top, right? But like in a in a low power variable compared to a red dot. A low power variable, it is important where this thing ends up on here. There are preferences for red dots, but like it's important that that the eyepiece be at the right distance for the stock length that you run. Mm-hmm. It has a very forgiving eye box, but if you put it in a suboptimal place, you're going to be in kind of one of the quadrants of the eye box, and that's going to hinder your experience. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then same thing with the eyepiece. Very few people, I don't know, I would imagine that 70% of low-power variable users never touch the diopter. They just use it however it came out. Yeah, however it came out of the box, that's how they use it. But that's how you get the true one power. When you hear the folks say, well, it's not a true one, well, you didn't set it up for your eye, you know? I try and be extremely, like, I think... We all do a pretty good job of being like assuming that like people don't have bad intentions when they say this isn't a one power, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I think it's very easy to be like, well, let me show you. I'll show you it is. And like, I think we all do a pretty good job of being like, okay, well, you know, did, let me show you. This? Let me show you, right? One of the things that absolutely me, bleh, see, there I am. I can't even formulate so angry, a thought. Can't it's quite even, all right. I'm, I'm <laughs> furious right now. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people say that this isn't a one power. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, it is. Let's just adjust it right. It is. Yeah. And one of the things that I think happens so frequently with all optics, not just low power variables, but it's it's one of the things that, and one of the reasons why I think the, the one power 
let's be honest. One power is the thing that gets scrutinized the most on low power variables. Absolutely. It's almost as though people forget that two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten even yeah. exists. I mean, one power is where you're talking about iBox. People are talking about edge to edge. People right. are talking about true one. They're because they never call and say this doesn't have true six power. It's be- yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> because <laughs> everybody because everybody bought a low power who bought a low power variable probably at least even for a, a second considered a red dot and then they got the low pair variable and now they're instantly trying to justify their decision and see well is it as good as a red dot and so they go to one power first they haven't maybe messed with the diopter yet and for whatever reason everyone's eyes and this happens with all optics they go boom straight to the edge they don't even actually look through the optic as though they'd be using it when they were shooting right down the center they're not even focusing on the target downrange none of this stuff is happening they go straight to the edge and with any optic that has even a lens in it, which we alluded to when we talked about red dots, which have one lens in it, which can even cause the distortion that you see. Um, it's why holographic sights, again, are so special. There's no lenses that you're actually physically looking through, so there's no le- image distortion. Now you talk about a traditional rifle scope with many lens elements in it, more than even just the two that you can see on the outside. And, you know, yeah. something like the... The one I always remember is the AMG 624. I think it has like 14 or 15. I think it has 19 glass elements. Oh, well, never mind. I just said I remembered it. And it's I a clearly lot. didn't. Uh, <laughs> so, but it's uh, it's, it's up there. And so a lot of them, uh, these oftentimes have double digits in terms of lens elements. So that's all that many chances for light to be distorted. And it will be. There is no perfect rifle scope that distorts no light. It's It's physically impossible. But if you look to the edges, that's where it's going to occur. And that, especially if your diopter isn't set right, if you're hand-holding it and it's not on a mount and you're not on the gun with a solid cheek weld behind the rifle scope in a consistent location within that eye box, people who hand-hold, you know, your hands shake and whatnot, and you're not really in that proper spot, there's all these variables that come into play. And so if if that's what happens, that is why you're not going to see it the way that it is intended Mm -hmm. to be seen. So you got to have it set up properly, again, for eye relief, with that diopter set right, for your eye, not the gunsmith's eye, not your buddy's eye who, you know, is trying to compare it to whatever else, to where it will be as close to or, or perfectly on that one power as, as possible. Yeah. When we when we're at a match and somebody gets a new rifle or somebody has is shooting a different optic and they're like, Hey, check this out and they pass it to you, it's like, oh, like this is wrong. And it might not yeah. even be that off, but like it's off enough where I don't like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and then I, and that same thing on my rifle with the stock setup, how I run it is like, oh, this thing's perfect. Mm-hmm. And then to the, what I was getting at as well with the whole like people's eyes go to the edge thing. It's like, well, have you tried taking it out and shooting it yet? Well, no. And then you go out and shoot it and you don't really realize it because as soon as you start trying to realize it and consciously think about it, then you kind of screw everything up. But subconsciously, when you are shooting, your eye doesn't even notice anything on the edges. Mm-hmm. Or at least any minute little details that you're picking up when you pull it out and you're focusing on it. Like but, there are shooting schools that teach you to to basically make scope shadow happen so that you look through the center of the glass. Like oh yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean like when you're doing any type of shooting, you're not focused on the outside edges. Mm-hmm. You know I think that that kind of that kind of thinking goes of like distortion. Yeah, it can maybe it could slow you down on a target transition or something, or maybe it could screw up your PID, but like that's, you you don't look through the outside edges on purpose. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's our little, uh, our little PSA. We also have a whole podcast on diopters where we talk to one of the optical engineers here. So if you're curious more about that, how to set it just right for you, you can go check out that podcast for sure. 
But some of the some of the pros though, other pros around you mentioned PID. Now, Adam, you deal a lot with military and law enforcement sales. So mm-hmm. explain the the PID aspect of it. What does PID even stand for for those not familiar? And um, how important it can be to even just I guess identify your target. PID um, in a law enforcement context or military context is positive identification. So that's uh, them deciding if it's the right thing to shoot at. Is it is that the guy we're looking for? Is it a threat? You know, is he holding a phone or a gun or something like that? So as we see LPVOs become more popular, we're seeing them gain more uh, popularity in the law enforcement segment because whereas with a red dot, we have a simple aiming system that isn't giving you any more information. Now we have an aiming system that is also giving us more information. So we can not only place a more precise shot if you had to, but they also can see the target more close up mm-hmm. and decide. They can monitor a situation and decide if, if this person actually needs to get shot or not. And so, and it's not just a rural thing. I mean, it started kind of in rural counties and sheriffs and things like that where they're like, well, we, you know, we have some places with long driveways and whatnot, but even in cities, like, you know, at, at, at standoff distances at 50 yards, you know, they're they seeing, seeing up close so they can make decisions, especially in 2020 and all the implications that come with um, an officer involved shooting. Now uh, you're seeing a lot more interest in low power variables on patrol rifles because it adds a decision-making element to what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Or not do. So, but yeah, we're seeing that more and more all the time as these become more vetted systems. And, you know, it, it definitely came up through through both the military applications of it and the sports shooting applications of it have vetted it. And a lot of folks who came from those communities to law enforcement, they're now bringing it into the law enforcement. Law enforcement, you know, lags behind military and, and sports shooting, in, you know, usually in decades. Uh, as far as as far as when they're actually going to adopt it, right? Um, but you're seeing that now. We're kind of on the dawning edge of of that being a common thing. Yeah, boy. And then of course we mentioned some of the other things that it shares with the with the prism scope too. But a physical reticle inside, always there regardless of a battery, and you know, obviously, really no issue in terms of astigmatism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, easier to zero. You have you know, if you turn a scope up to six or ten power. You're going to get a better zero. One thing I I think is important to note, too, is that if you were to go out and you were to buy, like, an entry-level LPVO or an entry-level dot, the price is going to be very different, right? Yes. You're looking at, you know, an Mm entry-level dot being $150 and an entry-level LPVO with a mount being, you know, $300. So, like, roughly double the price. The same goes for, like, a premium dot, and a premium LPVO. So, like, your price is, you know, going to be double or so. Yeah. Once you include amount. Yeah. And that, you know, that is kind of one of the nice things, too, about when we talked about more of these, uh, again, I'll call them more specialty optics, because you get an LPVO, chances are you're at least going to be able to do what you try to do with it. You get one of these, there may be some things that you then rule out or that you just understand there's some big trade-offs with. But anyway, you can get a premium one of these, and maybe some premium accessories and still be well under the cost of a premium low power variable plus amount to go with it. You know, like the Spitfire HD Gen 2 here, the 5X with that piggybacked red dot on top is a really nice setup. I mean, there's nothing that I would call entry level about that. No. But still, your combined cost for such a thing is going to be 
about half the price of a Razer Gen 2 or yep. certainly oh, yeah. less than a Razer Gen 3. Yes. So that is kind of one of the things that you do get into. And then, of course, like we mentioned, the fact that there are just more setup procedures. You mentioned some of that. Even That's even after it's already been mounted, assuming that you have the, the levels, the torque wrench, all that stuff to do it. So a little bit more of an involved process. But I think if you are one of those people that got an AR before you necessarily knew what you were going to do with the AR, but you were like, I got to get a sighting system on this thing right away. I can see merits to maybe putting a red dot on it, like we talked about at the very beginning. But also, if you wanted to kind of do the old buy once, cry once, and kind of be like, okay, I got something that I can live with for a while, grow into, figure out what I want to do with this gun. Yeah. If you get a low power variable, chances are you're not going to find yourself in a scenario where you're like, boy, I wish I got something else or yeah. boy do i absolutely need something well and else. like i wanted to bring this up to um i might i might end up not being happy that i said this but i think i i think i'll be happy that i said this in the competition world there are divisions and currently in multi-gun it's using you know a rifle you know most of the time an ar a pistol you know whether that be a glock or a 2011 and then a shotgun right now there's there's two divisions primarily that are really big. And, and you know, some of the divisions are growing, like Open's getting bigger. But, you know, limited division is using an optic like a red dot or a, a, a prism, a one-power optic, a non-magnified optic. And currently, like, tactical or scoped, scoped division, the only difference between those two divisions is that in scoped or tactical division, you're going to be using, most guys are going to be using a low-power variable mm-hmm. um, since they can have a magnified optic. In limited division, you're limited to a non-magnified optic. Now, shooting the same shotgun and the same pistol but changing the rifle, the times are almost always faster with a low-power variable. Now, I'm not saying, and this is where I might regret saying this, but I'm not saying that they perfectly replicate what you're going to experience in life, but typically stage designers will try and put in a mix of close-range targets and long-range targets. Mm-hmm. And, and if you take an average of all the matches that Adam and I have shot over the years, I can think of very few stages that, unless it was just a shoot-house stage where all the distances were CQ distances, I can rarely remember a time where the limited division rifle shooters were winning more than than the tactical division. So if you average it out, most of the time in a test of speed and accuracy, people who shoot low-power variables are, are winning more than people who shoot limited. Yep. Mm. And I would, yeah, I would jump on that too because I've, I've shot in tactical division with a red dot before, or when you look at the overall results, I mean... At best, you're running with them, and if not, you're giving something up. And if they start to throw in longer-range targets in there, you're certainly giving something up mm-hmm. on a time basis. You can still hit those targets, but it is yeah. more challenging for and you. And you've done it with the Spitfire. Oh, absolutely. Hit targets out to what? Absolutely. Seven? Yep. Yeah, and yep. that's that's not to say that you can't do it. I'm just, I guess, what I'm just getting at is, dynamic situations are almost always situations where time is a factor, mm-hmm. whether that's you know, concealed carry or using a, a carbine or something to defend your home. Most of the time, a situation isn't really a situation until we throw time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where competition shooting is a really good test of these skills is because time is a very important thing. Mm-hmm. And while accuracy, you know, the PRS guys might say, well, three gunners don't 
need accuracy. It's like, we just have to hit the target. That's true. But most of the times the targets we're shooting are, are, are like a, a realistic type of target that you would be encountering anyways. So if we're looking at which optic or which type of optic works for works best for an AR or unleashes more of its possibilities or potential, I think I have to say the low power variable does that more of the time or does all of the things okayer than than anything else you can put on it. Right. Well, yeah, and a, and a low power variable like in some of those applications, you know, where a guy could use like a one and a half or a two power or something, but a, a red dot shooter only has unmagnified. I mean, that's that might be you know the difference between one one miss that you know th- it's a game that's decided in hundredths of a second. You know, so your one or two misses where a guy with a little bit of magnification hit it in the first shot that you gave yeah. that you gave up an edge. Yep, for sure. And that's and that's so. not to say that there isn't a place for dots. I mean, there is, and there's absolutely. A, a clientele that needs the versatility of a dot or some of the certain features of a dot. But I think if you're talking about the person who's undecided, right, like the person who went out and bought an AR because they wanted an AR because yeah. somebody told them, hey, you should get an AR while you still can or something like that, and, and you're not sure what you want to do with it, I think that there are certain types of optics that are going to allow you to do more mm-hmm. than others. So... How about this? I'll toss out a couple of ARs with some applications tied to them, and you guys just, like, first instinct, toss out your preferred optic for that oh, that's a good setup. Game. How about that? Let's do that. What do you guys think? Ruben, are you in? Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, for sure. You had me at hello. Um, he didn't say hello. New 2-3 gun. Not sure what division I'm going to go into, but I got an 18-inch AR that my friend told me would be a good idea. What optic should I get? A Viper PST 1 to 6. Same. All right. And then I'm just going to shoot TAC Ops, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, you could shoot a lot of divisions, but... Okay. Lots of lots of jumping off points with that. Sweet. All right. And I got an 11 and a half inch first SBR. Super stoked. Going to be my home defense thing. Might be a truck gun. What optic should I put on that? Well, what does truck gun mean for you? Oh. Truck gun is like... Oh, there's a, like, I'm pulling down my driveway and a coyote's trying to, pack of coyotes trying to attack my dog. Or I'm, you know, driving down the road in a giant horde of motorcycle gangsters like trying to run me down. And my answer to your hypothetical question is the Spark Solar. (laughs) Uh, The actual, yeah, the actual gun that I carry in my truck all the time has a low power variable on it because, because the 300 blackout and I, Probably will shoot more critters with it ever than than hordes of. Did you say yours was five five six or three hundred blackout? Oh, you didn't say. I didn't say. Okay. Simon didn't say. Well, I mean, uh, just judging based on you spent the money, you got a nice rifle, you have enough where you spent a two hundred dollar tax stamp to SBR it. I'm probably gonna say either like a Razor one to six or a Spark Solar. Okay, cool. All right, we'll do two more. Literally never shot a gun before. Went to my gun store, got whatever 16-inch AR I could find that they still had around. Have no idea what I'm going to do with it or what optic to put on. How much are they willing to spend? Oh. yeah. Well, I mean, they've, never bought, they've never bought an AR before. They are like they only got it because they were kind of like, I feel like I need to get one. They didn't get the most expensive AR. Well, I'll explain my... 16 I'm going to give you my answer, but I'm going to explain it too. All right. Okay, so I'm going to say a Strike Eagle 1 to 8. 
Okay. Okay. So here's here's my reasons. They've never shot an AR, so that tells me that they're not an enthusiast yet. And you don't Fair. get excited about something if it sucks. So if you're not an AR enthusiast, this is your first one, yes. and you went and you didn't know what you were going to buy, so you just bought what the guy told you to, you're probably dealing with something that's fairly unrefined, something mm-hmm. that's not a high-speed trigger, something that's not, you know, you probably don't have all the whoozy what's-its and bells and whistles on it, right? So my thinking is let's get the most out of it by putting an optic on it that will allow you to coyote hunt with it when your buddy says he wants you to go with. Let's You can go shoot a three-gun match. You can go take a defensive carbine match with it. Yeah. You can also leave it on one power and defend your home, right? So, sure. I mean, I think that if you put a dot on a gun like that with a user like that who has a fairly low level of participation into shooting or shooting sports or anything, you might discourage them by putting a dot on it, and they're like... I shot a six-inch group at a hundred yards. They I said can't this see was it well more, enough. Yeah, this thing isn't accurate. Why didn't I just buy? You know, okay, right? Like, so now you're taking someone who doesn't have the desire, ability, or the skill set built up to go and take that out and and shoot accurately like Adam can do at four hundred yards. It is a little bit, I think, shocking when you very first. I've gone periods of time where I haven't looked through a red dot in a long time because we've been doing long-range stuff or I've been looking through one to sixes and stuff, and then I look through a red dot, and you bring it up to your eye, and you're like, oh, yeah, it looks exactly the same as it did and just as yeah. far away as it did before I pulled the rifle up to my eye. So, like, I, you kind of got to get used to it again. You're like, I can't really see that say well. A- I'm going to just put the red dot where I think I should. Yeah. You know, you know? I'm going to say a quick something about that. When I got my first AR, I thought ARs were magical. And like it was, the, right. it was the key word. It was like what all the cool kids were buying. And so I bought one and I put a red dot on it. I took it to the range. I had 300 rounds of ammo with me, not high quality ammo, by the way. And I had two 30 round magazines and I started shooting it. And I was like, this thing sucks. <laughs> I mean, I probably didn't know what distance I was supposed to zero it at. I'm talking like this is, you know, 14 plus years ago at least. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I had no idea what to expect, and I started shooting, and I'm like, this takes work. Yeah. Right? So, like, if I'm thinking of what that you know, user like should buy, missiles. I'm thinking of what that user should buy. They at least got to be able to see what they're doing. For sure. Adam, you didn't answer this one yet. Uh, just so that I, for the most part, agree with Ruben, but just so we have a different answer, um, I would go with a red dot, like the Spark Solar or Crossfire or something like that, because... A, I, I ran into a lot of customers like that, that uh, the cost of scope plus mount was hard, a hard stop. You know, it's sure. just out of their budget. Um, so, again, you can you can get into most of our red dots for a few hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, and it's ready to go. Also, I would go from it kind of from the standpoint of hoping that they, like, go out and want to shoot it, try and, like, they want to do, like, like Call of Duty or whatever, like they want to shoot fast and whatnot, or maybe take some of the cool guy classes and and hope that maybe having having the the cool gun that they see on TV or in the video games inspires them to kind of dive into it further. And when they dive into it further, they're going to make all kinds of revised decisions. But hoping that the kind of having that quintessential AR with a red dot setup kind of gets yeah. them into yeah. gets them into shooting fast because I was that guy too when I when I bought mine I bought 
I knew that it wasn't the right thing for three gun, but I wanted to buy an M4 looking gun because that would be cool. Totally. And I bought, you know, an, yeah. a red dot. And man, I got on the LPVO train really quick when I tried to shoot some two and three hundred yard targets with a red dot. Dude, yeah. To be clear, my first AR didn't suck. I just sucked at shooting it. Oh, uh, right. Me as well. Oh, we all knew that. Second still, AR, awesome. I still have an A2 carry handle sight that I like. Tell myself I'm going to put on something because I think it's awesome, and it's like it was always my childhood dream to have a gun that looked like that with that silhouette. Mm-hmm. And every time I get an AR, I'm like, eh, put an optic on it. Yeah. So it has yet to see anything yet. I wanted to say the Spitfire 5X with a piggybacked red dot on top, but that's it's not intuitive enough for somebody who's new. Because you're, then you're going to have to tell them, well, you have to sight in both optics. Plus, you're going to have to buy two optics. Plus, this one's going to have to be mounted perfectly right here for your eye relief. The other one, don't worry about the eye relief. It's too much at once, even though I think it'd be a sweet setup. for. You don't know what you don't know. Once it was already set to, up, I think. I think it'd be pretty sweet once, yeah. they, uh, once they had it. Okay, last one. It is 10-inch-ish or whatever, whatever length you want it to be, but it's a 9 mil. Oh, PCC. Yeah. I've read your mind on that. <laughs> I was um, hoping you'd read my mind on that. <laughs> I don't know what Adam's mind was saying. I was mostly hearing Ruben yelling at me. Yeah, I, was, I was saying, like, say Tavor. <laughs> <laughs> this is about ARs. So, yeah, sorry, um, Adam. So on a 10-inch 9 mil, I'll just tell you. I don't what, know if 10 inches is even a good length yeah, for Yeah, it is. Mil, is yeah. it? See, I have yeah. too. In my yeah. head. I'll, okay. tell you, I'll tell you, because I have a 10-inch 9 mil in the safe, and it okay. has a spark solar on it. Mine is a, my, my 9 mil carbine is a is a 4-inch, and it just has a big suppressor sticking underneath it. Nice. Them. Heck and, yeah. Uh, Actually, anyway. it doesn't have a spark solar on it anymore. It has a, a UH-1 Gen 2. Okay. I think that I'm not going to come out and just say, like, and, and name some arbitrary distance where I think 9 mil is effective to. I'll tell you that I shoot that gun to, like, around 100 yards. That's my my, nice. my which optic was it? Sorry, a UH one Gen two. I like um, that. I think it's the closest thing I have to like. A, I don't know what maybe what would look like a. It's suppressed. It's small. It's short. Like, but yeah. So like, I kind of like the the short nine mil carbines. Like, I like that world. It's yeah. it's a cool place. UH one Gen two. Um, it's like a heads up display. Yeah, put absolutely. the target in the red ring of death and pull mm-hmm. the trigger, and you're gonna hit it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that's what I have, and that's probably what I'd recommend. What are you uh, putting on it, Adam? Razor Red Dot, 6 MOA. That's what that's I have. That's a great on. choice for competition, I think. Yeah. And for for me, that's really all I use them for. Open top, nice and small. Yeah. Yep. I'm good not, not good really. field of view, nothing in your yep. way, really. It's just yep. like a red dot floating yep. there. Best The best window presentation of our open emitter red dots, Um, you know, easy battery access. The 6 MOA presents cleaner. Then a yep. 3M away. Uh, I'm not shooting it outside of pistol distances, and I want it to be as nimble as possible. So, yeah, for anything else, I would I would be using a different a different rifle. So that's pretty. It's a pretty purpose built setup for me. I like it. Good choices. All right, I think that'll do it. Was there any other last calls, Adam? You you I said you were really upset about the fact that you didn't get one yesterday when we tried take one of this, take two. All right, so last call, okay. uh, especially on red dots, but pretty much any of these optics, whatever illumination setting you're on right now, turn it down to, and just play with that for a little bit. That's a good last call. It's gonna, that is. It's going to open your eyes. It's just you know, very final and very just... If, if you're the kind of person who, in the dead of night, as you're in bed, when you turn your phone on in front of your face, after your eyes have adjusted to the nighttime for many hours, 
and you crank the brightness all the way up and you just wreck your retina, then maybe you don't need to turn it down. But if you're like the rest of us who when they turn that phone on in front of their face at night and you actually turn the brightness down, then you should definitely turn that brightness down. I think it'd be a good idea. Give it a try. Yeah. All right. I don't remember what mine was yesterday, so. Just going to say pass? The old euchre, like. Sure. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, I said what I needed to say. All right. We'll pass Mic on. drop. Pass on to the dealer. I'll call uh, Trumpus Spades. So with that being said, hopefully uh, for those of you out there, if you're if you're trying, if you're sort of arbitrating over which optic to get for your AR, hopefully this helped. If not, or if you have other questions, something that we didn't address, as usual, just hit us up on Instagram in the comments for this episode when we post it up or on YouTube if you're watching. So thank you, as usual, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye for now. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.